Welcome, welcome. It's the Curiosity Click, episode one. Today, we're going to be introducing our podcast, letting you guys know what we're all about. We're, it's hosted by Safe Mitwelli and Ali Anwar. We're going to be talking to you guys what this is about, breaking down what we're interested in, breaking down the goals of the podcast, letting you guys in on some current events, letting you guys in on some of our analysis of the current events, some of our opinions and takes, and that's going to be this episode. Let's start it off with what is the podcast? What is Curiosity Click? To start off, the Curiosity Click is about making smart cool again. We really want to destigmatize academia, destigmatize intelligence and all this stuff, and bridge all of our interests kind of together. We're hoping to bring in a lot of interesting guests. We just finished filming a podcast with two amazing basketball players. And we're also going to be talking a lot more in-depth and a lot more intelligent. We're going to be talk, doing a, lunch, a bunch of analysis and holding ourselves to a high academic standard. Now, this isn't going to be the best. At the end of the day, we're two idiot 19-year-olds. We're both in college. We're both in first year. But we're trying our best to bring bring our, our highest level of intelligence, bring our best to the table, and bring you guys along through a series of audio logs as we go on our pursuance of knowledge. Now, in order to do this, we're going to be fostering a clique of curious individuals. We're going to be bringing in a lot of different people. And as well, we're going to be talking about our ranging interests. That includes uh, rap, uh, hip-hop culture, business, finance, political theory, physics, philosophy, and history. Now, that's that's the main thing for the introduction. I think we're ready to go. Ali, take it away. So, uh, just to get right into the media stuff, we're going to start with some breaking news out of uh, Ukraine, because that's what everybody's life is about now. Uh, attack on nuclear site, a dangerous new escalation in Russian invasion, U.S. says. So, there's reports of a Ukrainian nu- nuclear plant in Zaporizh in a small city, right? <laughs> Population around 30,000 people. Uh, reports have been saying that uh, the nuclear plant is now captured by Russian military. There was shelling reported yesterday. Uh, and so now there's new fears of a Chernobyl fallout type disaster. Um, what do you think? I think the escalation is getting kind of scary. Like, I'm, I'm really planning on explaining to the audience what's going on in Ukraine because they might be missing out. But I think this level of escalation, it just keeps, seems to be keep getting worse and worse and worse. And I think just like escalating it to that to that standard, Putin has now become a nuclear terrorist. Mm-hmm. And he's woken up the EU's, uh, EU's military complex, the American military industrial complex. I think he doesn't make it through this invasion. Anyways, let me get on to the next big title. Um, the US takes aim at Russian oligarchs in fresh sanctions. So we saw the first wave of economic sanctions hit Russia, and um, these sanctions would most likely not affect Putin directly. And so the U.S. has has decided to take an approach at sanctioning his oligarchs and sanctioning oligarchs and his cronies. So his like top of top officials. Yeah, top, yeah. Putin's cronies. So, mm-hmm. so why is this important? Well, when you sanction Putin's cronies, you then increase the. Mm, how can I put this? You, they they they'll then advocate to end the war mm. because they're vested. They have vested interest in the war ending at this point. So it's increasing a lot of pressure on Russia by hitting, or at least on Putin by hitting it right where it hurts. Where he might not care that much about his country, but now that it's his friends and his and all that stuff, it's a lot more pressure. They're trying on. to exp- to exploit the oligarchs' political influence mm-hmm. in Russia, at least. 
So this would be like uh, people like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos in America being sanctioned by Russia and the other way around if America was participating in a mm-hmm. war. Well, or, in, in Russia, I feel like the oligarchy is much stronger than... Than in America? Than, yeah, than the elite class in the United States because the oligarchy had the assets directly distributed to them after the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. So that's why they control, they control like large major oil drilling sites in Russia. You know, a lot of the Russian people get exploited nowadays because the wealth is concentrated at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, very corrupt system. But uh, the sanctions will be targeting 26 Russia and Ukraine-based individuals and seven Russian entities. We've already seen one Russian bank or two Russian banks got uh, get cut off from the SWIFT uh, financial system. We've seen one Russian airline get taken off the the global reserve of Russian airlines or the global reserve of world airlines. Um, so now getting, getting into like more minute and menial stuff in the Ukraine-Russia war, uh, we could talk about the president, Zelensky, and the yeah. good job he's been doing. Go on, get on, get on what you think. A big claim Putin made before the war is that Zelensky, or like a big, play, a big claim Putin made before the war is that he's denazifying Ukraine. Uh, it's quite ironic because Ukraine has a Jewish president with, who won with a 73% majority. Mm-hmm. Used to be an actor, but I feel like people see him stepping up now. Uh, whether he's in Ukraine or not, that's still unknown, but he claims to be in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about how President Zelensky stepped up? Do you think like Trudeau would step up like that? If I mean, would Trudeau? Absolutely not. And I think that parallel is important. Like Zelensky, it seems to me, he's kind of like the Ukrainian version of Trudeau, where he's kind of like this pretty boy, like kind of cool, like kind of like people's person kind of guy, or at least what Trudeau's dad was back in the day, like from what I've heard and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that parallels there. And I definitely don't see a world where Trudeau would have the balls to actually like be acting like Zelensky is really standing up for his country. And not just that, he's also, he seems to be incredibly humble. I remember reading that he was absolutely, even no matter how it looks, no matter whatever, he's willing to do whatever it takes to negotiate peace just for the sake of his citizens. And it really comes off to me like he cares about his people. And it's interesting that Putin is using this uh, propaganda technique of saying that he's denazifying Ukraine. Um, one thing is, though, that I've been, I've been talking to my friends was, I really feel like if you think that you're immune to propaganda, at least in our perspective, right, you're definitely not. If you can't see why Putin would be doing these things or anything, you're probably the victim of propaganda. And it's hard to unvictimize yourself of that. The you know first I mean? casualty of war is the truth. This <laughs> <laughs> really powerful. No, but yeah, exactly. Is We don't actually know what's real, what's not, is because there's people who are getting paid like millions and millions of dollars right now trying to cultivate our mind and shape our brains in a certain way. And you know what? Deeper than the actual invasion and the war that's been happening, there is a PR war that's been happening on the side of Russia and Ukraine. Uh, So the PR war includes Russia targeting Ukraine's racist groups and Mm -hmm. their their like uh, right-wing militia. And you've been seeing the the racism like the problems with racism they've been having or the i get what you're saying the claims that at the at the borders right now have you not oh, have you not oh what you're talking border, about yeah, yeah, yeah the, all the issues and they've yeah, not yeah. yeah how they've not been allowing african immigrants to pass so do you think that's put, being pushed by putin and the Russians? that's definitely the russian narrative the russians right now are pushing two narrative two narratives in the, the whataboutism and the and the racism of ukraine do you think yeah so the whataboutism they they put it in the in the form of condemn war everywhere yeah yeah yeah. even though like they're responsible for most of the bombings but and it's, it's a, ironic it's that i think it's pretty ironic they're talking about afghanistan syria libya all mm-hmm. these different places when a lot of those places russia's just 
as equally involved in as America is, but they're really spinning the narrative right now to be like, okay, we're these big bad guys, right? But look at what you guys have done. Look at what about this? What about that, right? When they were also involved in a lot of those situations. You want to talk about uh, some Ukrainian propaganda? Yes. Then? Yeah, yeah. So have you guys heard of the, have you heard the Ghost of Kiev story? Nah, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it posted around. So there was this uh, Ukrainian folklore that there was a butcher who was a retired uh, army commander. And then he went back on the base. A like superior saw him and told him to get back out, start flying. And the tale is this one fighter took down six Russian planes. Mm-hmm. That was fake. Ghost of Key was fake. Did you see that video of the tank run, running over the car in Ukraine? Uh, no, I didn't. Was that up Anyways, on and everything? Yes, it was. Anyways, yeah. that was fake. The, the report of the old man being in the car, that was fake. That was a Ukrainian tank. But do you think that this is Ukraine stuff pushing it? Or do you think there might be, like, social media influencers and everything trying to make a quick, like, buck or a quick name or a quick, you know what I mean? Ukraine is pushing it to improve their morale. And I understand it. Right now, the Russians, they can't speak about their military successes because it's supposed to be a peacekeeping mission. Uh-huh. That's why you don't see Putin flexing and, you know, putting his balls on the table, this and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, I get what you mean. I think what was really interesting with the Russian situation, right, is that they failed at the Blitzkrieg. I think that was my biggest surprise was, for people who don't know, Blitzkrieg is the strategy where you want to go and take over a country in two to three days as quickly as possible. And the way Putin really attacked it was he did this three-pronged attack where he, had, where he was up north from Belarus, he was out south from Crimea, and then he was from the east, uh, from Moscow. And then the west of Ukraine was all mountains. So it's a very easy invasion, very quick, very, very nice and swift. And he failed. He couldn't get it done. And I think the economic ramifications... On Russian are- media, though, Putin, uh, Putin. Putin just spoke recently, and um, like body language experts and all are saying that he seems frustrated. Even during his uh, recent speech, his most recent speech, you can go check this out. He stands out for about he stands up for about twenty seconds, uh, contemplating whether he should end his speech or not, and then goes back to sitting down. It's obvious that it's not going in his favor. I don't I don't know when you say when you say body language, it comes off very pseudoscience. It seems like you can, is it is it going in his favor? Do you see Putin making it past this invasion? I don't know because I, I was just having this debate the other day, or actually I had this debate twice with two different people where they both said that this is. The beginning of the fall of Russia, right? Because this was like a really bad like mistake that that Putin's making. I feel like they're underestimating Putin, right? It doesn't to me. It doesn't make sense. Where Putin's been in power for most of like twenty years, I believe there was like a little break where he wasn't the president. But for most of twenty years, he's been in power, and he just decides to go into Ukraine, destroy his country economically, and he's not. And his whole team of advisors isn't double thinking these things, aren't thinking twice. I think there's a bigger hand being played here. I think what's going on right now is he wanted to call out and see NATO and specifically, I think, America's hands. He wanted to see what do they have available to use. And what he found out was they're willing to sanction absolutely everything except for oil. Now, I haven't I've been looking into this as far as I know. There have been no sanctions put out on Russian oil. I'm, I'm actively looking. I haven't seen anything. But as far as I know, there have been no sanctions on Russian oil, and Russian oil is flowing freely. Now, obviously, we all know oil prices have risen. I believe this is because of fear that sanctions are going to come out. But what this really says is that the American economy is weak, and when America and NATO are flexing like they're ready to go to war with anybody, they're ready to do this, they're the big dogs, they're ready to do anything. And then this guy comes in, he's invading Ukraine, Right. Really like a big call out right in their face. He's calling their bluff. 
They don't respond militarily. They don't put in any military units. And not just that, they say all we're going to do is sanctions, but we're not even going to sanction you all the way. We're still going to fund your war by buying your oil. So what does that say to Putin? What does that say to Xi Jinping out in China? That what like what what's the new world order? That's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised that countries, or at least imperialist countries, or countries with imperialist dreams, are only now fighting back against American containment. I think American containment is so out of line. Can you imagine Americans going to Vietnam because they thought that if Vietnam became communist, the rest of Asia would fall in a domino effect? Well, what, what do you so mean that's, by that's the same well, thing ex- right explain, now. explain American containment? What do you mean by that? Okay, so American containment is how the United States remains a global power, right? They don't allow any of the other competing mm, powers. They have their they have their foot on everybody's neck. Pretty exactly. Much. Yeah. So think about uh, NATO, right? NATO mm-hmm. started on the west side of. Um, in North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So yeah. it was a organization created only for the countries of the North Atlantic to protect that area. Yeah. Sorry. Can I hit the mic? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, and now uh, NATO has been expanding further east, even adding on non-European uh, partners. Yeah, yeah. So you think that they're building this huge uh, control? Like what you're talking about when you say American containment mm-hmm. is the huge like control that America has. Yeah. So because you got you got NATO and BRICS. Yeah. BRICS is uh, the Russian led. Con- like Russian-led uh, conglomerate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not a conglomerate, but it's well, the Russian-led group. BRICS is um, Russia, India, South Africa. I forgot what the C and the B were. Okay. Brazil. Yeah. And I forgot what the C was. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so you've got the NATO and the BRICS. BRICS has not seen as much or nearly as much success as NATO. You can see NATO going like NATO expanded all into West uh, Europe. And now, the biggest tragedy of this war, mm-hmm. I think, is the Ukrainian people being used as a mouthpiece for the GOP. For the GOP? What yeah, do you mean by that? The good old party, the Republican Party in the United States. The, their well, agenda what do you mean by is, used as a mouthpiece? Like, what do you mean by okay, that? Okay, so the agenda was to contain Russia through building a military bases and creating a military, estab- like, establishing military presence in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's very, like, dangerous to Russia's big land borders. Russia, mm-hmm. Russia's the biggest country in the world, right? Yeah. And... And Ukraine uh, is right by yeah, Moscow. There's, yeah. there's a lot of threat, especially having a democratic country mm-hmm. close to an autocrat- autocratic country or like a, uh, a dictator-led country. Mm-hmm. Putin doesn't want the Russian people to see a model of democracy working so close to them. You know, this is the mainstream like message, like the mainstream opinion that I keep hearing about, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of hesitant on it. I feel like... I feel like this is a big stretch on everything. I feel like that this this battle between democracy and autocracy isn't as prevalent as people are making it out to be, right? Or at least I think this is part of the Ukraine or the Western propaganda that's being pushed out. Because I don't, I don't think that's Putin's biggest thing. I think they're both playing this game where even Putin's saying, like, we don't want NATO around or whatever, we want to denazify. And then the West is saying, like, they're scared of this, they're scared of that. But I don't think that's really what's going on. I think the main thing is economics. Like, maybe that's a portion. I agree. It has to be multifaceted. But I think there's a big economic incentive where isn't it strange that Putin's doing all of this right after COVID's coming to an end? Mm -hmm. Right after, um, I believe, I remember hearing that the United States has printed 40% of its dollars over the past, like, year or two years, right? Where they've totally inflated. Inflation's gone out of control. We're at about 8%. Uh, 8% inflation in the United States, which is absolutely insane, right? And I think Putin is seeing that America is weak right now, and he wants to start pressing. And he's starting to noticing where it hurts, and him and Xi Jinping are looking to take advantage of this moment, solve some internal domestic problems, 
as well as start threatening the the big uh, the the narrative of the United States is the big dog, the big this, the new world order that the United States set up after 1945. I think this is one of the greatest things to actually happen to the American economy because now we're going to see jobs boom, the military industrial complex is going to pick up, all this military expenditure is going to increase. I I, I disagree. I think. Bro, there's all. It's always it's always great in the time of war. That's but when there's that's, the most jobs. That's when the economy. That's, gonna that's, be that's, unless you're burdened with a horrible amount of debt, right? And not just that, your return on debt is near zero. Like here's here's a statistic: is the marginal revenue product of debt is thirty cents since two thousand eight, and it's been fluctuating up and down around so what that is, number. What is that? So what marginal rev- revenue product of debt means for every dollar of debt that you take on, how much are you getting out of it, right? So what that means is is if you lend me a dollar, mm-hmm. I would use that dollar to make another dollar probably, right? But instead what's happening is you're lending me a dollar and I'm only making 30 cents off of the dollar that you lend me. So then I keep getting under this bigger and bigger and bigger pile of debt. And this has been happening really like ever since 1971 when we went off the gold standard in the States, right? Ever since the States went off the gold standard, they've been incurring debt like crazy, but it's been happening exponentially ever since 2008 and even worse since COVID, when they started, when the government was putting in quantitative easing, monetization of debts, and all these different uh, checks that they were giving out to the people are really, really, really messing up the economy. They are at the point where they can't really be affording to just start making business boom again. There is this main, mainstream like uh, idea that war is super, super, super helpful, that war is great for the economy, war is great for this. But I think right now America's in the position where this can actually screw them over and I think the biggest thing is like Ray, Ray Dalio, you know, this is kind of like the thing you get at is Ray Dalio. He's a billionaire uh, investor. He started the the hedge fund Bridgewater, which I think it manages around $100 billion in assets. I need to check that. But he just released a new book called Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. And in that book, he points out that right now America is the reserve currency for the world is most debts are denominated in American dollars, most transactions are denominated in American dollars, and the American dollar is a fiat currency. So what that means is, is that America, if they wanna buy oil, they can devalue everybody's debts, right? So they, they can print money, and where that new money is coming from is they're stealing it from every single loan that every single person has, every single dollar you have in your bank account, the American government is stealing money from that. By decreasing its value. By decreasing its value. They steal value from that and push it in to purchase oil, to purchase this, to purchase that, to fund this, to fund that, whatever it is. And this is a unique power they have right now. And you're explaining inflation tax just for... Yeah, exactly. Inflation tax. Yeah. So right now the position is that Russia and China can put threats to this American reserve currency status. And if America lose, loses this reserve currency status, it's going to be in a whole different position. Right now, as you know, China has been... They have the whole world by their economic balls, right? They're completely, they, they have all of Africa, all of India, all these different places. They're deep in their pockets, right? And I believe it was uh, Russia has about $130 billion in gold reserves, while China has about 90 to $100 billion in gold reserves as well. It seems like they're preparing to start doing transactions in gold, right? And obviously, like, if, if you hear, like, all these crypto nerds, they're always talking about how the fiat currency is going to go away, that the dollar is going to go away, and that it's going to be replaced by either Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it is. I'm saying, I'm making the same argument a lot of them are making, except without saying Bitcoin or Ethereum, I'm saying the gold, the gold standard is going to come back that everybody's been put, that everybody's been using for almost 5,000 years. Can we assume civilian casualties will increase now in the Ukraine war? Absolutely. Because it's clear that 
the Russians were not targeting civilian assets in the beginning, but now it's kind of a gray area. Well, they did that vacuum bomb. Did you hear? Yeah, about did that? the vacuum bomb. Was the was there a death toll release on that? I don't know because I I got I got news about that and then it kind of went away right after. I actually don't have a lot of information on that. I'm just remembering that right now. But I, but they were saying that the vacuum bomb is the second worst bomb that because it creates it creates a, a vacuum of oxygen and then apparently it can make bodies disintegrate or something, something like that. that. Yeah, yeah. I have to look into that, but. Yeah, go on. What are, you, what are you getting at? I wanted to to ask you if you'd see more civilian casualties now mm-hmm. that the war has been going on. I feel like the way to oh, let me not let me rephrase this. What a dictator would do now to cripple or lower morale in Ukraine would be to attack civilian assets. We've seen like carpet bombing recently happen in the city of Kharkiv. Mm-hmm. So I think Putin is trying to make an example to the people in Kiev, telling them, look. This is what's happening to Kharkiv, the second biggest city in Ukraine. This could be you. Because think, Russian, Russian soldiers have now, uh, they've, yeah, they've yeah. surrounded Kiev completely. When do you think, do you think Kiev falls? I just want to re- rephrase one thing. I'm just searching it up. It mm-hmm. seems like that the vacuum bomb, it isn't absolutely confirmed. Was It seems like, I remember reading specifically that a diplomat said that the vacuum bomb was used. But it seems to be that there aren't any like official sources and that it hasn't been officially confirmed so i just want to clear that up what can you believe anymore yeah you what never you know you never anything? know right but on that on that note if key falls i think it's almost inevitable i think like although it's really hurting the russian economy i think he's falling for the what, what's it called the gambler's fallacy where you you already spent so much money so you might as well keep going you might as well, you know what i mean like, he's too deep in no. he's too deep in so i and and does he have the resources to do it absolutely i think what he's really surprised is the strength and pride of the ukrainian people which is honestly i've even been surprised about it that they're withholding they're withstanding the rush the Russian what do you think running? of the foreign conscription that's been going on Eighteen thousand nationals uh, like eighteen thousand soldiers or eighteen thousand volunteers that went back to ukraine to fight some of them ukraine nationals outside the country some of them just dedicated to the fight for democracy i think that's really insane like if that is really happening right now right again propaganda whatever but if that is really happening i think it really shows that beauty of humans right the beauty of human nature i can never especially especially just on a personal note i can never see myself fighting another person's war you know what i mean and just seeing that people are like willingly going and and fighting and all this stuff especially since everybody's making memes about oh we're gonna get drafted we're gonna do this how are we gonna draft dodge you know what i mean Mm -hmm. seeing people like willingly volunteer themselves up to just fight for another country because they feel like we want to protect them we want to fight for their rights and everything can we speak on um other people or other entities supporting Ukraine in the fight. Uh, Anonymous, they started taking down some Russian websites, you know, devastating the Russian infrastructure. <laughs> but now, recently, apparently they they hacked the space station and disrupted the, the software on the space station, on the Russian space station. And I mean, Russian satellites. Is, is, that, is that accurate news? I don't know. I, it says, as reported... I don't know. As reported by Vice, hackers appear to have breached one subdomain of the IKI website. Although other subdomains remain online, the compromised part of the site relates to the World Space Observatory Ultraviolet Project, so some spaceship. A project similar to the Hubble Space Telescope and planned for launch in 2025. So the Russian space program has now been, a Russian space agency has now been hacked. 
I think it's interesting to see. I mean, one thing that's funny is I remember as a kid thinking like Anonymous were like the coolest people like ever to exist, especially like with the movie like V for Vendetta. What was their what was their saying? They always had a saying, "We are anonymous. We don't." What? I don't. I don't. I don't remember. What was their saying? I, I remember thinking that they were the coolest people in the world. Now they kind of seem a little corny. It seems like the stuff they're doing, they're doing like all the small little things that they can. I think it's super cool that they're doing this. One thing that kind of comes into mind was they kind of portray themselves as being this group that fights for the silent like minority you know what i mean like they fight for the rights the human rights and all this stuff right mm -hmm. and it's weird that they're going against russia and then the whataboutism like why didn't they go against the states during this time or that time or that time y'all are the vigilante group so their quote was and i was trying to remember we are anonymous we are legion we do not forgive we do not forget expect us kind of nerdy shit is that <laughs> you think you are yeah, but I think, I don't know, um, I think it's funny, I think, but I think it's kind of cool. I think it's cool seeing other people, like, especially, what was that thing that Elon Musk was doing? That With he, the Starlink? Yeah, the Starlink. Starlink available to Ukrainians? Yeah, I think it's really cool to see that stuff, and I think, like, over a million dollars. That's in response to yeah. Russian cyber attacks, because the Russian cyber attacks have been trying to... I know, take, take away the internet, internet, so then Elon Musk is doing this, just, you know, maybe advertisement, maybe whatever, but it seems like out of the goodness of his heart, and I think it's really cool to see that, right? And I think what else is really cool to see is is just how people are coming together for this, right? If whether or not it's propaganda, it does seem like most of the world is kind of unified on this stance that they both that most of the world is seeing this as kind of like gross and like uh, or grotesque, and it seems only China is the one that hasn't condemned <laughs> condemned Russia and also the UN. When the U did you see the UN rights thing? So they had they had this rights council or something like they they brought in the I think it might have been the security I'm I'm rough on the details, but it was to talk about um, I think it was called by Ukraine to talk about humanitarian aid, and all they did was put in Xi Jinping to deny all the Uyghur Muslim stuff, and that's all he did, and then they they totally ignored the Russian situation said we're gonna push it off later. <laughs> what do you think about the UN being like a complete joke? The UN and other institutions, part of it, like the IMF and the World Health Organization, are complete jokes. They haven't, you know, the World Health Organization and the IMF have not condemned Russia to this point. Really? Yeah, they refer to them as the warring sides. Wow, that's crazy. Spineless, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the thing is, is like, it was, it was meant to, to, like, I believe the saying was like, to never cause this again or, or never again or something. It was in response to World War II, right? And... I don't know what they thought when they put all was of that, Was that the Holocaust? No, the Holocaust is never forget. Never mind. Oh, mm -hmm. but it... Yeah, yeah, no, yeah it's yeah, never again, I think. It's I think, right? Yeah, yeah, that was right, why yeah. the UN came about. But I think what's interesting about it is that if you put all the countries that are, that are probably most at risk of doing a human, like, you know what I mean, a humanitarian crisis, you put all of them onto a council mm -hmm. and you give this council less strength than any of the individuals, and you give all the people the ability to veto the strongest ones, the strongest ones that are most most at risk of doing something disgusting and vile. You give them the ability to veto any decision that the UN makes. Mm -hmm. What's the goal of it? What's it supposed to do? Like what, what? It's a lot more symbolic now than it used to be. I guess they used to actually pass legislation and you know sanction people. And what now? Now it's now it's the UN is a joke. I think at this point, like you you had a you had a post once. They posted this one meme. Uh, <laughs> Highlighting how the UN and NATO are presented in like textbooks and how they really are in real life and they're kind of like scrawny and weak in real life but big and muscular in the textbooks. Yeah, and it's like a complete joke, right? And I think that, especially it's kind of cool, like, 
again everything i've learned almost has been in the past like three four years like again like we said we're 19 right so being demystified about all these things like the way that we have this impression that this is this way that this is that way and then finding out oh UN doesn't do anything. Oh, NATO isn't doing anything. Oh, everybody folds for oil, right? It's just interesting and interesting to see. Okay. I think I have a question for you. So with like gas prices going up the wazoo, you know, mm-hmm. what $2, do you think? Huh? $2, huh? Yeah, well, I think in Edmonton we have it like 155 but I heard estimates of going up to 185 Apparently right? Nova Scotia is going to have another price hike at night. Yeah, but what I think is, is have you heard of Trudeau's uh, carbon tax? Mm-hmm. So the way the carbon tax works is that it's an exponential, not an exponential, it's an ever-increasing tax where every single year it's increased by, by a set increment. So last year, this is an estimate I got, was it's about 9 to 10 cents per liter is just from the carbon tax. Now, um, just some Canadian statistics, right, is for the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, this is, it measures the inflation for an ordinary person, right? And... For in Canada, we're at 5.1% increase in inflation, where with if you remove oil from that number from 5.1%, it's a 4.3% increase. And that was last month in January. This is before like a lot of the stuff started started happening. So just oil alone has caused a 0.8% increase in people's pockets, has, has caused it to hurt a lot more. Now, our country has been free falling into debt for the past two, three years. What's interesting, though, is that we've gone up just this month alone it's about 16%. This is an estimate I came up with, just looking at the current prices and then comparing it to the prices from Stats Canada. It's about 16% increase in oil just February, but we're not gonna have official statistics on the CPI updates until March 16th, so that's something I'm really watching out for. Mm. Now, can we talk about like some important stuff, like really like important and like really groundbreaking stuff? Yeah. The Euphoria finale came out. Okay, I don't want okay. Euphoria, bro. Honestly, for the people who do, I thought the show was pretty sick. The the play at the end is they okay. So in the show, right at the end, okay. they direct a whole Broadway play. In, oh, I heard about this. I've seen this on TikTok. Honestly, yeah. I think Euphoria might be one of the best TV series out right now. Okay. And the streaming numbers do do support that. Yeah. yeah. No, the streaming numbers support AOT. As, AOT supremacy. As a person <laughs> who like who's really invested into like writing and you know I I have I. I always pay extra attention to the writing and the character development. Mm-hmm. The the directors of the show really make a good job at giving every character like their full, like they they explain why every character acts. They explain the small the small like in, intricacies about their personality and stuff. So like for example with the with the Nate fellow, right? He saw his dad cracking out dudes. Yeah. And that fucked him up from like a younger age. So there's this one scene where him and his dad are like wrestling. Yeah. And he started slamming his head on, like, the ground. And you could just see it's like a broken kid, right? In mm-hmm. other TV series, what they would normally do is they would just villainize the, the good-looking white guy, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And just create him as a one-dimensional character. But in this show, they really they really show the characters as... They, they create people. It's not a character at this point. They create multifaceted people, multifaceted characters. And um, apparently, I also heard this rumor, is that the, the Fez character was supposed to be getting killed. Mm-hmm. Remember the, the drug dealer that was kind of slow? Didn't that little kid get killed? Yeah, the little kid got headshotted, but well, also like probably should have put a spoiler warning. <laughs> I mean, we did say we did say the finale, yeah. so so yeah. honestly, the show is pretty good. I don't wait. How long? How long ago did the finale come out? Uh, two 
two, three days ago. Two, three days. Okay, yeah, it's their fault. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's their fault. It's like one of the best TV yeah, shows yeah, yeah. out right now. But I also think it's very like okay. So this is something that I can kind of relate to more. Uh, the way the show portrays addiction mm. is so powerful. Okay. You can see like Rue, the main character, Zendaya, as she's falling into addiction, seeing it like actively hurt people mm-hmm. and seeing the pain it causes her like knowing she's actively hurting people but she just can't stop mm. because sometimes mm. if it's not addiction it's suicide what do you mean i i feel like people who result or resolve to that type of addiction mm. they only have like two routes it's either addiction or suicide so they're really just trying to stay alive that's why you see so much like selfish traits. That's why she's acting very selfish because she's trying to stay alive. So you're saying people are in this really bad position and then their only solutions is either they kill themselves or they fall into addiction. So that's why they fall into addiction to prevent themselves from having those suicidal ideations and to run away and cope from their from their depression or their anxiety or whatever. Mm-hmm. Also, the show's got like mad hot chicks. That's why a bunch of dudes is watching. It's like a guilty pleasure show. It started as a guilty pleasure show. I was hate watching it at first. But then it was just too fucking good. Yeah, I guess so. I okay, guess so, so now let's uh, switch topics real quick. UFC 272, Jorge Masvidal, Kobe Covington. Uh, my money's on Kobe Covington. Kobe Covington will probably be throwing a large like quantity of strikes. Uh, wins by decision. Interesting fight. Not enough buildup, I think. We could have seen a lot more interesting trash talk. Uh, if they stand and fight, the first two rounds will go to Masvidal. Later on, Kobe will out-wrestle him. Masvidal will gas out. Masvidal's gassed out before. You can use the Kamaru Usman, Usman fight as an indicator. Uh, Kobe's fights were always a lot more fun. Uh, you can argue that Masvidal had like a, his first fight. He was excused because he had to make weight on like five days. But I think it's also like it, it also caught Kamaru Usman off guard. So Kobe Covington, by decision, put your money. Interesting take. Don't know much about UFC, not gonna lie, but I appreciate your rundown and your breakdown of what's going on. I appreciate your opinions. You got more to talk about? Yes, so we're gonna talk about the music industry now. Okay, so what's uh, up? NBA Youngboy came out with a new album with the baby. I heard about that. NBA Youngboy is also coming out with a new album with Quando Rondo. So obviously the beef between uh, the NBA crew mm-hmm. and OTF is heating up. Yeah. OTF being Lil Dirk's crew, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lil Durk released a single dissing, uh, dissing Young Boy, right? Right now, the stats are at 17.1 million views on YouTube, charting at 22. Holy. Yeah. That's but crazy. Young Boy, 16.4, charting at 16. With Young Boy's album coming out, he's expected to sell at least 60 to 90,000 units first week. That's, That's not too bad for an artist who's like completely shunned by the... By the industry, I'm not a young boy fan. Yeah. Okay. I'm not like YB, but I'm not one of them people. But you think you think young boy's been shut out by the industry? Yeah. What do you say that? Um, his label is trying to portray a certain image of like you know this secluded gangster guy and create a mystique about it. Mm. And uh, through doing that, they kind of bar him from working with a lot of different artists. Mm. He also has this like beefs and stuff, and you know like it gets stupid because everybody knows each other so you're picking sides at this point yeah i get what you mean so as an artist like him making it on his own i can kind of see how it's respectable just not a young boy fan he's overrated music's all right but overrated i think he was bumping like a couple years ago back in like 2018 20 or maybe it was like 2019 2020 i think back i think it was it was really back in high school everybody was bumping young boy i remember that like back when you had nle and six nine and who's the hottest rapper out right now 
hottest rapper out right now. I feel like, I mean, outside of like Drake and like those like. Is big, Drake the hottest rapper out right now? I mean, Drake got like what artist of the year? I mean, artist of the decade. Yeah, but Drake Drake just does numbers. He doesn't. He's not in conversation every day. Uh, no, he could. No, he could. Okay, okay. No, 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 Drake Drake gets Drake went up in the league of the goats. Like if you're talking about, especially our generation, if you're talking about the new guys. All like we don't know who's gonna last. We know Drake's gonna Drake. People are gonna know about Drake in twenty years, right? Are they gonna know about Lil Baby, Lil Dirk, who, all these other guys? I don't know, but people are definitely gonna know about Drake. And think about it. Even six nine. Do you think anybody's gonna go, know about Takashi uh, five to ten years from now? Lil Pump. Who sells yeah, Lil Pump. Pump. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, Lil, yeah. Pump. Lil Pump was everywhere, and then he disappeared in two seconds. Right? Drake is definitely not gonna be one of those guys. Lil Baby, Lil Dirk. Um, NBA young boy, all the Quando Rondo, they still have to prove themselves, in my opinion. I think for them to get that legacy, you know what I mean? I don't think Quando solidified as a goat of anything yet. Uh, yeah, not at all. But I mean, Quando Rondo was really bumping back, like back in the day. You know what I mean? Like back in the day, as in like four or five years ago. You know what I'm saying? Now, can we uh, talk about the long jump women, long jump women recommendations that I've been getting on my YouTube? What are you even getting at? So. Why are you watching on, women's <laughs> on my YouTube, right? I've been getting long jump uh, recommendations of women and so have other people. And uh, most of it is just the girls in super revealing outfits. And it's not objectification because I'm supporting female sports. That's great, bro. That's, re that's really great for you. So you're just getting a lot of... No, because like, you know, it's, they've got like these super athletic shorties just jumping and flying. That's super interesting. That is. That is super interesting. And That's so perfect. So, like we were getting at, we're, uh, we have a wide array of interests, especially as Ali's, like, really showcasing, you know. He really loves his uh, women's long jump, I think. I really appreciate the sport. It's amazing. I'm going to look at what I have. A lot of them have a great future behind them. Yeah. All... What do you think about the new Kanye episode? Let's talk about that. The genius the Kanye Yeah. yeah. Mm. What do you think about the ending? I've only... Gotten through the first episode, not gonna lie. You haven't gone through it? No. Okay, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you a breakdown. This is the spoiler alert mm -hmm. that he should have gave for Euphoria, but I'm not gonna actually talk about Kanye. So, episode one is building up to the college dropout. It's about him getting signed to Rockefeller Records, right? Episode two is him getting college dropout out. Mm -hmm. So, in Kanye's whole discography, the first two episodes are leading up to the college dropout. I was concerned about this. When I heard about the documentary, I was like, whoa, 22 years of friendship, 22 years of this, filmed the entire time. You know what I mean? You heard the hype, right? I was like, yo, this is going to be amazing. And it was. The first two episodes really humanized Kanye, really put him down to earth, and really like it was incredibly inspirational, especially the through the wire parts of episode two, which you didn't see, which was crazy, right? It's about him actually being in the car accident, getting his jaw all messed up, his face bloated. He's lying in the hospital bed, and he's calling up his friends. Yo, I got this song idea. And his whole jaw is wired up. Yo, I got this song idea. Let me rap it to you. And then dropping through the wire and film, filming the music video and getting himself big and trying to push his album out when nobody would take it. And then when he finally got it out, number two, triple Grammy. You know what I'm saying? But amazing. Like, up to episode two, it's amazing. But then Cootie in episode three messes it up man like he really really messes it up i have a question did you watch the the last dance no. okay well let me let me just finish on this so cootie messes it up because 
I thought what would be really cool about this was there's this big mainstream message about Kanye, mainstream opinion that he went crazy, that he's, you know what I mean? So I thought this was going to, like, put a new light on him and put a new flavor to the story. Cootie comes in and he's like, yeah, after we dropped this, Kanye got all Hollywood on me and then he wasn't really messing with me much and he really changed and all this stuff. And then he started talking about his kid. And so what is he, no longer recording footage? So he wasn't recording footage for like 10 years. The only time that he started recording footage again was after, um, I think it was like Pablo. Like, uh, like you after know, left Pablo? Yeah, exactly. That's when he started recording footage again. Mm. So, so he missed out all throughout late registration, all throughout uh, graduation, all throughout uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, uh, Yeezus. He wasn't recording during the George Bush doesn't play like, or George, George Bush doesn't, doesn't care about, about black people. people. He wasn't recording during the Taylor Swift thing. He wasn't recording during any of that, right? And then he just pops in, right? And then he starts recording for Kanye again in like 2018. Like he wraps up 10, 12 years of Kanye's most controversial life in like 30 minutes. And then just comes in at the end and is like, yeah, uh, so now we're recording. And it's cool seeing Kanye work on his fashion brand and work on this. And it's just garbage. Do you know who Dame Dash is? Yeah, it was all throughout the... Yeah, yeah so it, have, you, have, you like, have you heard about the new football league he's starting? No, what's going on? So Dame Dash went on the Shannon Sharp podcast. I don't know if people really can care about this, but it's something that I do care about. Yeah. Um, Dame Dash went onto the Shannon Sharp podcast and claimed he's going to be taking over the football or the sports industry now. So what does that mean? Uh, he made a bunch of claims about not liking how the, the owners are all white of NFL teams and how it, it could be like allusion to slavery. That's kind of what Kaepernick said. But then when the people came out like in... In opposition to Kaepernick, they said, "Oh, you can't compare slavery to, to football. Like it's it's a disgrace, right? Because they're they're not even, not even on the same, yeah, 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 playing field. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, I don't know. I don't think there's inherent racism in sports. Uh, he made the point that if black people just stop playing football, football would disappear, which is true with well, almost every sport. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What happens if black people find hockey? <laughs> Once they start heating them, fucking ice shrinks up." It's over for white people. Why not? Well, the the thing is with hockey is that a big barrier of it is socioeconomic, like and, and like golf and winter sports in general. Well, no, uh, the difference between hockey is it costs a lot of money. Like golf, golf is only high like high affluent people play golf, right? But um, hockey, it costs you like four or five thousand dollars to get training, to get this, to get the equipment. The equipment's crazy expensive. I don't know. I never I never played hockey personally, right? But just having friends who did. They would always say like, yeah, the equipment was crazy, crazy, crazy expensive. So there is like this big socioeconomic barrier where you have to make X amount, which is what I think keeps like, <laughs> all minorities out. Of yeah, this what keeps minorities out, right? Like, it's, I don't, I'm, I mean, I'm not making a controversial take when I say like minorities are lower socioeconomic, white people are higher socioeconomic. Therefore, a sport where you need to be incredibly rich to even practice <laughs> is mostly white. And I think if if like actually black people started playing with their like crazy like fast switch fibers and all that stuff you know especially like west africans and all that stuff if they started playing bro they, i think they were dumb i think can they you imagine dumb. we start seeing black people jump from the midway line on hockey, <laughs> in hockey rinks bro i'm telling you once they're gonna cancel hockey like as soon as that it's done. It's, yeah, it's it's done. Done. all the all the stadiums are gonna get roger stadium down the next day as soon as the first black guy gets <laughs> <laughs> all they gotta do is just start heating that shit up it's too cold it's too cold it's too cold Why are we playing? it's edmonton it's not even cold out here ice never heard of this it. is crazy yeah that's crazy this is crazy me coming just newly to this country uh, as you might have heard on the last episode depends when it comes out 
might come out yeah, before. So okay, so episode two, you'll hear that I just came to Canada 2020 or yeah. July 2020. Uh, I still do very fob stuff to this day. What do you mean by that? Like, if there's snow outside and it's not stepped on, I'll go and run and jump in it. Yeah. Um, so you just like a little kid. I think that's what we all did when we were like four years old. Like, we were so excited to do snow angels and do this and do that. When we were little children, yeah. And it's probably just now that it's your first time seeing snow, so you want to do that stuff. You know, my first time seeing snow wasn't even like... It wasn't. It was so anticlimactic. I heard from this other girl that came from Spain that the first time she saw snow, she started crying. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We talk tomorrow or on time. episode two. Yeah, it's gonna be. You're gonna be hearing about Joseph and what happens in the forest fires. When are we gonna see forest fires this year? What do you mean? Probably this summer. <laughs> I mean, it happened last year a lot. Do you not remember with uh? NBC? Yeah, I do remember. Yeah. It's just a bit. I don't know. It's very weird how it's like routine. You guys expect forest fires to happen. Because it gets so and then and it gets super smoky out here in Edmonton. I think this is something that I got like I was shocked at this the first couple years that I got the, here. You know Fort McMurray? Uh, is that like a little? Yeah, the little the little town that that does all the oil stuff. Mm-hmm. They had a crazy forest fire a couple of years back, where like the whole city was basically like burning down. So what happens when you guys get like a lot of ash and bad air quality here? <laughs> it's not even. It's nothing close to our winters. Not, not even. Not even one percent as bad as our winters. But yo, I just wanna I wanna get on something like you're talking about the football stuff and it being racist, right? And just I remember this is from my friend's uh, sociology textbook where he's talking about um, here. This is just this is just a quote from my friend's sociology textbook. He says, "If you are a fan of North American football, you have watched the scene countless times. A white guy, the center, flanked by four white guys, offensive guard and tackle, snaps the ball to another white guy, the quarterback, whom all the five white guys try to protect." This white guy looks up, sees that there are several mostly black guys coming after him, and so hands the ball off to a black guy, the running back, sometimes jokingly called the running black, who gets tackled by the onrushing players. If the running back is stopped before advancing 10 yards, another white guy might come in to try to kick a, kick a field goal. Isn't it like, don't NFL players disproportionately beat their wives? <laughs> is that crazy to say? Huh? I mean, yeah. I mean, there was that huge controversial. Did you see that controversial video? I don't remember the player. Like, I don't follow football. There was the player who just recently was caught drunk driving and killed this lady. No, there was there was a there was a player. I don't remember. I don't remember his name because I don't really watch football. He beat his wife hard. Like, search if you can search it up. O.J. Simpson. No, no, no. <laughs> past that, he was. But I mean, he beat her past what O.J. did to. No, 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 no. no That's not important. But um, free O.J. It was like really, really bad. Henry Henry Ruggs III drove more than 150 miles per hour before I think it was I'm searching it up I think it was Zach Stacy Zach Stacy really beat but I think the thing is that has to do with the aggression of a sport right and just like and brain damage and everything that comes from football but just talking on that race card my friend was really mad at that he said he felt like a lot of camaraderie and like one of the least racist spaces were football teams and all that stuff and that there was this big sense of like fraternity that came into football, and he was really upset with that racial narrative. Why is it that a lot of athletes go broke after stop, after playing professional professional sports? Because they get so much money so fast. Mm-hmm. They get like these um, like, lack of financial literacy. Yeah, they get. I mean, you take you take a like a random poor kid, right, who's really fast or really great at like doing this. At seventeen, that. you're living in the projects. At eighteen, you're making seven figures. And not just that, you're making seven figures. What people don't realize is when they say like a million dollars per year, mm-hmm. you're getting those in small like per game. And that's only for a part of the season. So you're getting like a million dollars 
over the course of a month, two months. I know? think what happens with these people is that the luxury taxes will end up um, bringing them to their knees. Because once they get out of the league, whether it's basketball, football, MLB, um, they still have to pay all their luxury taxes and property taxes. Well, I don't think it's it's that. I think it's mostly that they don't have a f- sense. It's like winning the lottery. Like as soon as you win the lottery, what's the first thing you're gonna do? I I got I got five million dollars. What's ten thousand dollars out of five million, right? What's another ten thousand dollars out of? What's this? And then after a while, on your fourth month of, of spending like a hundred k, right? You're at what four point six million? That doesn't matter. Why? That doesn't, that doesn't four point six, right? So, but then now you've become like used to the lifestyle, used to this, used to that. Then you get into debts. Then you get into this. Then you get into that. And there's nobody really teaching you how to manage money, how to do all this stuff. And the few guys who actually learn, even in music, you see the same thing. A lot of these guys make a lot of money, then lose it really quick. Whereas there's then there's the whole especially during the during COVID when everybody couldn't tour, you saw artists going on OnlyFans. Yeah, I didn't even hear about that. I'm just saying, I think it's like like Hov and everybody who like be doing a lot of this stuff. They actually learn how to manage money, and it takes them like a mile away. You know, it does the most for them. But for a lot of these guys, it's just like winning a mil- like winning the lottery. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, T Pain. T Pain's gone broke like three, four times in his life. Even Kanye, before he became a billionaire, I believe fifty million like, in debt. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. He rapped about it so many times that you know. I mean, I know the number. Even Trump, I think, was before uh, he. I think he was fifty million in the red before he made like his his first billion. I remember reading that back in the day that Trump went like dead broke. I used to watch um what's that show they used to have? What are you talking about the your the, the, the apprentice, the apprentice. The apprentice yeah. I used to watch the apprentice and I remember when I saw him running for it, I was like, What the fuck? The the, the guy from Apprentices uh Oh Trump when he ran for yeah, election. I think that was the biggest leverage that Trump, Trump had was, was that, that he, he was wasn't a businessman. No, he wasn't a politician. Like it wasn't he was the guy you know, he was he was breaking these norms that people have, these expectancies, right? Where you had, like, Bush Jr. And then, I mean, Obama was a big surprise, like, no doubt about that, right? But then, as well... Obama also had a very strong stance on Obama. I think Obama was a career politician and just a token president that they put in there so they could completely ignore the black agenda. Um, Obamacare was just a lot of money being funneled into the pockets of different insurance companies. So, yeah, you can see he got lobbied in or he got voted in by lawyers and by big pharma. Uh, so, like, these were, like, his biggest his biggest campaign contributors. So, I have, I have a very strong opinion on Obama and how shitty of a president he was. Yeah. I if anything, mean, he pushed back. He like, had, I remember hearing that he had these, like, Terror Tuesdays where it was so common for them to bomb, like, Iraq and, and Syria and everything that they, like, nicknamed it Terror Tuesdays and everything. And I think what was interesting as well was I remember uh, Hillary Clinton's emails got hacked on WikiLeaks and they were exposed and she was calling uh, Muslims sand, sand N-words. She was like, those sand N-words with the Israel and this and that. And nobody was talking about it. Nobody was talking about it. Do you do you find it interesting how Arabs like Trump? Yeah, yeah have you not noticed yeah, that a lot of Arabs kind of a lot of, Trump? I know a lot of do. Yeah, even even Arabs who have nothing to do with the West, you know, like family living back home in the Middle East, they'll still like, yeah, I like this Trump guy. You know, he knows what he's talking about. I think it's because they sh- he shows that um, it's the personality. Exactly, he's a polarizing character. So there's up no, not not the polarizing. I think that he's a strong. You don't think he's polarizing? No, he is. But that's not the aspect I think that attracts um, a lot of Middle Eastern uh, people to him. You think it's his conservative ideals? No. 
I think that it's the fact that he's kind of like the stronger leader that like a very he makes a lot of strong statements like he says you know Mexicans are this or that he says Muslims are this or that and he just says it blunt straight up straight away whereas Biden's kind of like uh, you know just like uh, just uh, you know you know what I mean and it's a totally that's the difference is I think they like somebody especially have you been seeing inflation and asset that's too so bitch <laughs> but have you seen even uh, Boris how he's been talking now uh-huh. so powerful so strong out of nowhere out of nowhere he starts he starts talking like a man you know mm-hmm. what I mean and I think people are like I think that's what attracts a lot of especially Arabs because we have those values I think that's that's what I think I don't know I think the UK should the UK's PR team should invest in getting him a hairstylist 100%. This guy's hair is crazy. And his whole outfits and everything. But also, he's lit. Yeah. yeah I mean, Boris Johnson is lit. I mean, I think all of... It took over after Brexit. Brexit. Everybody in UK, I think, hates him, though. Yeah. I think that's 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 the main that's the mainstream thing that I'm... Have you seen hate. the United States recently created 680,000 jobs, apparently, this, this February? I heard that the unemployment rate is going up, though. I remember hearing that. I don't. I don't actually. I, this was a month ago when I last checked in on the employment statistics. I'm very solid on the statistic. And during the month, during the month of February, they increased. Uh, but they created six hundred eighty thousand new jobs. So what's interesting though is that what's happening right now in the states is we have an aging population because the baby boomers are retiring. So with a lot of the new jobs that are coming in, there's still a less of a labor force. Do you know what I'm saying? So even if we're having more jobs, there's still less people actually employed because more of the baby boomers are retiring. You know what I'm saying? And there's obviously less amount of Gen Z than there are baby boomers because they're huge, you know what I mean? So we're definitely gonna start seeing the impact of that. That's the main thing is, you know I'm a big guy on demographics and everything, so one thing is, if you think about a country, GDP is production, right? People in the working age, which is 15 to about 65, that population is what funds the entire country. And everybody over 65 is kind of like this economic sink. All the money flows into them and then it just gets burnt. So as the population starts to age, as more people move from this, from the 15 to 65 range to the 65 plus, which is the baby movers, what they're doing right now, the worse the economy is going to get, the less jobs that are going to be available and so on. Other than the federal budget being exhausted by all the pension programs. Exactly. I think we're going to see pension programs go down the sink. And I oh, for sure. Once Trump gets in, he's cutting that shit down. What? <laughs> you think Trump's Republicans back? don't play with that. You think Trump's, Trump's coming yeah, back? No, nah, Republicans are honest, yo. If you're not working, why are you getting paid? No, but you just said once Trump's back in, one, you think Trump's going to win the Republican election. Definitely. Two, gonna the... Trump is going to win the election running with Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. Okay, yeah. We'll see. Governor of Florida really put on during the, the whole corona shit. I don't know. I'm really watching America. I think... Like, you know, I'm on my academic conspiracy stuff. I think there's a huge, uh, and it's not just me, a lot of people, they think there's a huge Great Depression coming, huge... Do you think of, we're in the Great Reset? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm, you know I think this. You know I think this. Uh, one thing to note about China, right, especially I think the big Great Reset, why it's important is to look for people who are coming out. And I think what's interesting is that China's GDP has 95 x since 1976. And in America, they've only 20x. So their rate of growth in GDP is five times the American growth, right? And China has capitalism to thank for its growth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's starting from starting no starting from Shenzhen, 
Later on, China has capitalism to thank for its growth. They have capital markets, but communist. I mean, it's called the communist. They, party they, they create. They Shenzhen was supposed to be a special economic zone where they allowed foreign countries to come and invest in China. Yeah. Hong Kong was supposed to be the 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 gate the gateway between the West mm-hmm. and uh, the Chinese market. Yeah. And once Shenzhen adopted this special, once Shenzhen became a special economic zone, it started flourishing. Obviously, though, communism decentralizes power. And when you have a power-hungry government, eh. but also like they handled the COVID stuff a lot more efficiently because they said do this and like they said jump and people said how high. Well, that's the main thing is what really like kind of infuriates me is people's reactions to how hesitant and slow we were in dealing with COVID. That's the beauty of democracy. That's the purpose of democracy. If we were fast with dealing with COVID, you know what else we would have been fast in dealing with? The Islamic crisis, when all the same people that were saying, oh my God, you need to get masks, you need to get vaccinated, you need to do this, you need to do that. Rewind 20 years ago, rewind 20 years ago, and you know what they would have been saying? They would have been saying, oh, we need to get rid of Muslims. They're harmful ideologies. They're harmful this, they're harmful that. The reason we have democratic systems is to make everything slow. There's no right, there's no wrong. Everything is slow. There's no right is fast. There's no this is fast. Everything is slow. That's why we dealt with COVID so long. That's why it took so long to deal with it. That's why China is doing a great job at dealing with their with with the COVID crisis. They're also doing a great job, and in case this isn't clear, I'm being sarcastic, dealing with their Muslim crisis, with the Uyghur and the and the camps and all the stuff that they're dealing with. They're doing an amazing job at exterminating that problem. If we're gonna if we're gonna implement the fast the fast deal the fast way China has dealt with COVID, we're also gonna be taking back home the fast way they're dealing with Muslims. So the U.S. being the only country to drop two nuclear bombs on Japan incited Nelson or caused Nelson Mandela to say this quote. Um, Nelson Mandela said, um, "How could the U.S. be the police officer of the world? How could they be the humanitarian officer of the world after, after they most tragedies?" Yeah. 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 I mean, that's do a great you feel like do you feel like the United States is policing the world right now? Do you think they're right? Do you think they have the right to police the world, being the strongest? Does anybody have the right to police anybody? Like, like to, to police, police the, the world, world at, least? at least? Probably not. And definitely, you're right. Like the U.S. is have they bad. moved on though from? <laughs> not, not willingly. willingly. Not willingly. Let me let me just say this to the to the viewers out there. If you have some free time, go look up Abu Ghraib. A B U space G H R A I B. It's a prison created by American in, American mercenaries in Iraq to torture Iraqi nationals. No, that's crazy. And that's they, the like, raped them and did crazy stuff there. Look it up. I'm not even going to say it on here. No, but that's absolutely insane. And I think this is where we can wrap up the episode, call it a day. On a bright note. Yeah, on a bright note. <laughs> not a bright note. On a bright note, but thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you had a great time. Please make sure to share, subscribe, do all this stuff, you know, put it out there, send to your friends, let us know. And also, like, if this wasn't perfect, just give us some time. We're still... We're still learning. We're still adapting. Some jokes are out of tune. Some of this is out of that. Some Sometimes it's going to be too loud. We're still learning. We're still pursuing our knowledge you know we're still curious and we're still trying to learn as much so if you have any criticisms we'd love to hear them and if you have any questions for us we would love to take them in and we would love to answer them we'll probably if you have any more we'll answer them pretty soon for sure and we're gonna be yeah i think that's it i think we're, we're really excited for what's to come thank you guys for listening to curiosity click uh see you on another podcast please like and subscribe goodbye